Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were polar opposites. From the beginning, the groundwork was laid for a fierce rivalry. I just want to say one thing, Shawn Michaels, I can promise you for 60 minutes, you were in for the absolute worst pounding of your entire life. The historic Iron Man match did nothing to settle their issues. In fact, it only fueled the fire. Just because I choose to live my life openly and freely does not make you a better man. As the taunting unfolded, their bitter feelings intensified. You're nothing but a degenerate. You're the most arrogant, pompous guy I've ever seen. I thought I could do it. You're way out to me now. You'd like to hit me, but you, you don't have the insights to do it. This here is what it's all about. And until you have this, you will never, ever, ever be the showstopper. Bret Hart, you are a zero, my hero. I'm going to kick your little scrawny ass. A story full of twists and turns saw Bret Hart's contract negotiations become the focal point of what would become their final encounter. Everybody just keeps turning up dressing room knows that I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. I don't think there's ever been a rivalry that has been talked about as much worldwide as this issue between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. And the smart money is, is that you will never, ever see it again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and we are. Uh, Sorry, you guys. It's been. I was going to say it's been a weird week or so, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, uh, I think the last time we talked was uh, about four months ago, and a lot has happened since then. So we'll uh, talk about that uh, later on. But we are continuing uh, our series on the Austin vs. Man rivalry, and we're looking. And last time we looked about how the formation of Stone Cold's character was formed. Now we're talking about how the character of Mr. McMahon was formed. And for that, it was the most controversial match in wrestling history, which was Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels at the main event of Survivor Series 1997, otherwise known as the Montreal Stew Job. Um, so, Adam, slightly different question we're actually here. When did you first hear about the Montreal Stew Job? It was actually after the facts. I wasn't paying attention to, you know, like the, you know, like, because round about then it was when 
the sort of backstage talk and stuff like that would really start to get noticed by more fans, I think. Yeah. Whereas I was never into that at the time. And as I've said the last time, I wasn't watching a lot of WWF at the time. So I ended up, like, I think it was maybe a couple of months later. Um, maybe yeah, maybe a few months later, um, because I only saw bits and pieces, so I didn't even immediately know that Bret Hart had left the WWF. Uh, that it was very much during my sort of you know like, I mean I think every fan's had one at some point. My uh, downtime from watching wrestling. Yeah. So learning, even though. I guess being a fan at the time, but learning about it after the fact was kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, but mm, it was. I mean, it's been, as you said, it's like one of the more divisive things still to this day. Like, I mean, WWE still bring it up every now and then. You know, uh, make references to it and storylines and stuff like that. It, it was a big defining moment for right and wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, for me, it's slightly different. It's um, I think one about nineteen ninety nine is when I started watching WWE more because it was just easy easier for me to watch. I knew mm. Bret Hart had moved, but I knew I thought it was like you know his contract ran out, it moved over, and then Western Shadows on BBC Two. Uh, mm. and I watched that, and that's where I first heard about it, and. That and uh, that documentary and Mick Foley's first book. Uh, like I knew wrestling was fake, but I didn't know how it worked specifically. And the documentary yeah. and the book kind of helped me, help educate me about how professional wrestling worked, like how it was all planned and the storylines, all that stuff. And just watching the documentary, I just being shocked at the end. I was like, I can't believe that happened and all that stuff. But. The reason I thought because a lot of people would have seen the match and all that stuff, but a lot of people like me wouldn't have known about it till like a couple of years later. I just seen the documentary going, "Oh shit, did that happen?" kind of thing. Um, yeah. And yeah, it wasn't until I saw doing the podcast that I've seen the match because I don't know, I just it was one of those matches that I wasn't I knew about it, but I didn't really want to see it because I've already seen it like in the form of the documentary. Um, right. But it's interesting. Um, so. Let's talk about the story into this match. Um, pretty much a lot has happened since uh, King of the Ring 1996. Um, Bret uh, Hart turns heel just after the Warrior Woman 97. Uh, oh, sorry, he, he lost the championship then and then became turned heel at WrestleMania 13, which is when he faced Steve Austin and did the whole double turn thing. Um, he goes on to win the championship at SummerSlam 97. Um, at this time, he was having a rivalry with Shawn Michaels that, uh, but it went, went more real life as well. Um, it's hard to say. I think um, I think there were kind of elements of their real life rivalry, like real life animosity, like WrestleMania 12, because when Shawn won the championship, then he pretty much told Brett to fuck off, and get out the wing, effectively. Um, but from what I what I know, it's. Um, I think Brett 
uh, made fun of Sean because he did his play goal pose, and that upset mm. Sean. Sean responded by uh, strongly implying that Brett and Sonny were having an affair, which they weren't. Um, and it came to a head at, after a show in Hartford, Connecticut, in the beginning of June, where pretty much Brett and Sean came to blows. Um, fast forward a couple of months to SummerSlam 97, um, other people was the champion, Brett challenged him, and Sean was the referee. And the previous, I think one of the stipulations was that like Sean had to call it right down the middle, otherwise he will never challenge for the championship. Uh, Brett and Sean get the altercation. I think Brett spits at Sean. Uh, Sean responds by uh, using the chair, but he hits the Undertaker. Um, Brett, because he's not an idiot, pins Undertaker, and Sean has to like count the pinfall, and that's how Brett became champion. Um, have you watched that period at all of wrestling? Bits and pieces. Yeah, same here. Um, um, like, I'm... I don't have... I think I mentioned this the last time, but I don't have that same nostalgia for the... I mean, granted, this was, I guess, less the Attitude Era itself and more like the genesis of it. Yeah. But I don't have that same nostalgia for that, at least the WWF side, as much as a lot of other people my age do. Yeah. So, like, I've only seen, like, I've watched, like, you know, like, the big moments and stuff like that, but I, I was, as I said, I wasn't really an avid follower at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm the same. I mean, uh, uh, there's another podcast called Altitude Day with podcast that are pretty much covering this series. So I'll be watching, kind of watching the pay-per-views in preparation, listening to those podcasts. But, you know, that's pretty much it, really. Um, during this time in real life, uh, Brett was, had signed a twenty-year no, contract, effectively a job for life. Uh, yeah. Because WCW offered a three million a year contract in '96, and my mom responded with half that, but for twenty years. So, uh, which one is enough would have finished now? Um, so, so that's it. But unfortunately. With the TV ratings going down, not as much money going into the company, a lot of the big names like leaving WCW, uh, WWE to go to WCW, Vince pretty much couldn't afford it anymore. So uh, he pretty much went to Sean, look, I'm giving you permission to uh, go and like, pretty much become, you know, uh, speed to WCW. And he did, signed a three-year contract. Um, go back to the ring briefly. Um, Sean goes on to beat Undertaker uh, in the first ever Hell in a Cell match, a bad blood the month before, and I used the word beat Undertaker very loosely, because if it wasn't for the debut of Kane, if we beat the fuck out of the Undertaker, Sean wouldn't be the number one contender. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah. And I think, I think this, this meeting is probably the bit that kind of called, was the start of all the animosity and what was going to happen. Um, Brett was scheduled to leave just after the Survivor Series, and he's obviously the champion. Um, he found mm. out uh, that he's going to lose it at Survivor Series to Sean. So even though there was all this animosity, Brett had ob- gave put this opportunity to kind of give like stick an honest branch out. So mm. he pretty much goes to Sean Michaels, goes right. Um, no, I'm happy to do business with you. You know, uh, I have no problem like dropping the belt to you. That one, Vince was. 
and Sean mm. just goes, yeah, I appreciate that, but fuck you, I'm not going to do that to you. And <laughs> so I think because of that, Brett's like, well, fuck you, I'm not going to drop this title to you now. And I know we'll probably talk about it more later, but it's just, it's so weird how, like, how one little thing, if Brett, if Sean wasn't an arsehole, and this is, and he missed out, he was an arsehole during this period while he was champion, like from 1997, he was like, doing drugs at the time, uh, I think he, and he definitely stopped Vader from becoming champion, maybe a couple of others, yeah. and all that stuff, um, and I think if that didn't happen, I don't think, it's one of like little things that kind of starts the, the like the snowball warning is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, um, I mean, his ego was out of control at the time. Yeah. Um, pretty well documented. And let's not make any mistakes here. You know, Brett had a huge ego as well. Yes. Uh, and just a natural. I guess it's like button of heads, clash of personalities, whatever you want to call it. Um, it was never going to end well. <laughs> never, 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 never. I don't think so. It's. Um, I mean, we want to. I think we. I think we want to make them both dicks. Not to. Not to the level like Hulk Hogan. I think for ultimate dickness. That's all. That Hulk Hogan is the champion for that. It wasn't. Yeah, all yeah. It wasn't to that level, but it was to the point where it's just, you know, they've been clashing all the time, and Sean's ego just got the best of him at that point, and it was a bit of a shame. So pretty much, Brett's like, yeah, I'm not going to drop the title. So Vince is like, the fuck do I do? Uh, but eventually, they decided that there's going to be, uh, which I don't like because it's the main event of a pay per view. But pretty much, it's going to be this. Um, people, I think Sean's going to put Brett in the sharpshooter. The referee will get knocked out. Uh, that, and then the rest of the Heart Foundation, like Owen, the British Bulldog, and Jim Nighthill, will come in. And pretty much, it ended a clusterfucker and no contest. And Brett, in our tour the next day, would drop the title uh, willingly, and then there'll be a tournament to see who would become the new champion. Um, so that was the plan before the match. Um, mm. And that was, um, I don't know if you've seen Western Shadows, but that was documented. Uh-huh. Yeah, as you, as you can tell, that was documented because um, they, the director of the documentary insisted that Brett would wear like a microphone while I had the meeting with Vincent for, on the day. And even though Brett was like, I don't want to, but the guy was like, no, just in case, you know, just have on. Um, and kind of thankfully, in a way, it that glad because I think. If we didn't have that, it could have been a, a case of he said, you know, he said, he said, you know, all that stuff. Um, mm. So, uh, when we get to the match itself, uh, did you watch the whole pay-per-view? Uh, I have, yes, although not in a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, um, obviously in Montreal, so last week, that's like the centre of French Canada. And I think one thing I found weird was the announcer was announcing it in French, because I'm so used to having to think there. And just a one mm. person who wings like announcing in French, you're like, oh, okay, that's weird. Um, so anyway, uh, go to the main event. Um, Shawn Michael comes out first, and he, um, and he disrespects like the Canadian flag. He's like, dragging against his crotch, like obviously pissing them off. 
Um, but apparently that was Bret Hart's idea. Um, before we get to the match itself, um, I forgot to mention earlier, with Bret, he was, he was going for his heel turn, but he was going for his phase where they were doing a lot more shows in Canada at the time, so he would be obviously uh, booting in America, but cheering yeah. in Canada. Uh, what do you think and about his Apparently the, re- the rest of the world as well, like places like Europe and stuff, he was just cheered there too. Yes. Um, so how do you think that heel, that heel one went for Bret? Um, I think, I think well, like, he did the job in that, you know, at least people in America hated him. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was interesting, like, just uh, to the best of my recollection, nobody had really done that before. Like, yeah. a heel in one region while a face in plenty of others. The closest I can think of was how... Whenever WWF were in like the French province of Canada, at least uh, the fabulous Rougeau brothers would still get cheered. Yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, that's a lot more comical though. Yeah. Because you know, was uh, that was a uh, and it's a kind of a sidetrack here, but that was ahead of its time. Like the sort of level of irony that was in that gimmick. Yeah. The like. You know, the whole sort of facetious pro-USA thing. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, that was hilarious. I, I'm sorry, I'm a big Rougeau mark. Um, uh, but, yeah, like, it was the first time, at least, again, to the best of my, my knowledge, yeah. if anyone out there knows better, by all means, correct me. And, but it was the first time that, like, a main eventer had had that. So, I mean, it's interesting because even now, there's, I mean, obviously with like independent wrestling, you'll get maybe someone who's a face in one company and a heel in another. But that, with that like magnitude of it, like a nationwide thing, I can't think of anyone who's really done it since. Yeah. Like, obviously, there would be the whole thing of Canada would cheer certain people. Or boo certain people, yeah. but it was that was it was never what they were actually going for. It was just like you know, oh you know, uh, La Resistance. They're French uh, or French Canadians. Let's cheer them, kind of thing. Or uh, cheering like the Americans versus like the USA team or whatever. Uh, whereas. As far as it happening intentionally on a like a nationwide or worldwide level, I can't think of anyone that's really done that since, off the top of my head, at least. Yeah, because it's a very hard thing to do, really. Um, hmm. Especially well with with the American like WWE and AEW kind of focusing more on America than like going to like WWE, for example, only like tour the UK like twenty years for like a week. Do Canada probably like four or five times a year, just like for like be like one or two nights, and that's pretty much it. Um, so it's really hard. I think I know they've got the whole like side away thing, but that's totally different. And I know they went to Australia a couple of years ago, um, other stuff. So it is quite hard to do, and you're always gonna, but you're always gonna get like the home, like even though people who are healed, like like Billy K. Penny was a heel, but soon as went to Australia because they're from Australia, they're gonna get cheered, obviously. Um, yeah, so you're gonna get bits like that. Um, so, 
but I like the way they kind of. I think it was Trey. It said words. I think it was Trey ahead of the time to like go spend like. I can't. I can't remember if they alternated or if, like once every month doing kind of. I can't remember exactly. But uh, hmm. they were like you know, in America you get booed. That's like a piece of shit and all stuff. And then the next week does exactly the same but gets cheered instead. So it's quite um, interesting. Um, so when uh, we get back to the match, so when Brett. Brett comes out and Michael's like, well, fuck this bell, and pretty much attacks him immediately. And they go to the outside, they go into the crowd. Uh, Brett is trying to go with the American flag. Um, during this time, like, Etta referee, they're trying to sort it out. Vince is there, Panson and Briscoe are there, so sort of Slaughter, who I think was the commissioner at the time, um, mm-hmm. was there as well. Um, Michael tries to power drive Brett twice because we first. Um, the fight goes to the entranceway, and Brett sends uh, Sean presents Brett to one of the referees. Brett punches another referee, and I think to myself, surely you would stop the fight. You, you was, like both these guys are punched referees, so you go, whoa, 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 okay, that's it. You know, you've gone too far here, um, but apparently not. Um, they eventually. <laughs> go back to the wing and the bell ring and Brett straight away strangles Brett with the Quebec flag and I'm like shouldn't that be a disqualification and once again guess not it's weird because it's weird now we know how the match is supposed to finish in disqualification yet they do a lot that is that should be should be disqualification but isn't like punching with mm. and strangling people with flags it's just it, it's a bit it's a bit insane sometimes, but I know it's like the referee discretion, so especially in the main event, I might go, yeah, I'll let that go, things like that. Um, but it's always found weird to me. Um, so with Brett, he um, gets to be dominant, he hits like, things like Atomic Rock. Uh, Sean responds with playing 4 1 focus on the faith, and then returns the favour with the Quebec flag. I'm like, okay, no disqualification apparently. Um, and the fight goes back to the outside. Uh, Sean hits punches and elbows, followed by a reverse suplex onto the steel steps. Um, and it's, the one thing I like about this match is very back and forth. They're just going at each other, just going all out to kind of win the championship if they can. Because with ma- no, with most matches, it's like the face will have a bit, then the heel will dominate for a bit, and then the face will come back and then get the finish. So it's nice to see and like, a bit mm-hmm. of a back and forth match for this. Yeah, I mean, um, and the, and the fact that it was, you know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, because Brett was very much, you know, a technical wrestler. Yeah. Sean very much, you know, it could work that, uh, but more of it like a showman. Yeah. And the fact that between their real life animosity being known. And the way they approached it, it did make it feel more like a fight yeah. than a wrestling match, which is good. That works, you know. Like, and I've said this, like, I don't think one here, but before about well, wrestling in general, you'll get some times when, and it's not so much with this match, but with those kind of matches, like something that fans especially now would maybe be like oh you know that was a botch or whatever whereas sometimes that helps i think yeah 
it makes it feel more because like a fight like that it shouldn't all be like you know like clean cut perfectly executed you know vertical suplex or whatever it should feel like a fight and that very very much did although looking at it in hindsight kind of easy to understand why <laughs> yes um yeah cause especially at that time i don't i think the because obviously the internet's not was nowhere near as big as it is now and so very very few people will kind of know about like the backstage of fan backstage or probably just get it from like what well, they like to call it the dirt sheets won't they so yeah it was, it was mm. really has widely well known um when you get to the match it's um Sean hits a crossbody because can't do a pin for two uh brett applies you know you do that figure four but you put the legs around the wind post which all which i always love um slight point with that it's it's technically not a move, so he has to let go. Goes back to the knee. Uh, Brett applies another figure four, and Sean reverses the pressure. Um, then, after Brett goes, hits a snap suplex for two, he goes for an axe handle, but this is when um, Sean pulls Earl Hepner into the firing line and he goes down. So, up until that point, everything is going to what Brett is thinking is going to happen. Um, he um, Sean put Brett in the sharpshooter um, and Earl Hepner miraculously recovers rings the bell and just bails um, yeah oh yeah he runs and yeah pretty I, much I mean the situation and the animosity in there it, you know you can't blame him because yeah <laughs> yeah and um, I know we're just digressing a bit but pretty much um before the match, like Brett was was starting to get a bit paranoid, he was going to get fucked over, and he knew Earl was going to be the referee, and he trusted Earl. So he was going, he was going to Earl like, "You're not going to put me over. You're not, you're not going to put me over." And Earl's like, "No, I'm not going to do that." Then literally before the match, Joe Briscoe goes to Earl, going, "Yeah, you're going to fuck him over." Um, so, um, so that's probably that's why he bailed. He pretty much called to Earl. He he got his brother to pack all the stuff in the car before the match, and as soon as the match was over, he just got in his car and just drove the fuck off. Um, so, with this, um, Sean acts shocked, just like, what the fuck? Uh, Brett's, Brett's face is weird. He, I think he's like... He doesn't I think he happy. instantly knew what had happened. Yes, but he wasn't, he wasn't like shocked or anything else. He was just like, you son of a bitch, you did it, kind of thing. Um, and... Then spits in Vince's face. Um, Sean drops the belt and Triple H just goes into the back. And pretty much JR goes, Yeah, show's over, bye. And that's it. Because <laughs> um, cause I think, I think that was quite shocking because a lot of people, I think, they got like, had like four or five minutes left and for JR to go, Yeah, show's over. I was like, oh, Okay. Um, after the map, Brett just loses his shit, he like wrecks the uh, announce table, he has finger, like, finger spells WCW and all that stuff and, and everything like that. It's, uh, so what do you think about the match? It's, it's, it's hard to talk about the match in terms of, oh yeah, what did you think? Is It's not something anyone remembers for the match. Yeah, it's 
as you said, like the surrounding issues and the aftermath that everyone remembers. But the match itself was fine. I mean, by no means like the best match that either man has had, but it did. And like until like obviously the end, which at the very least Brett didn't know was coming, or well, maybe suspected obviously, but didn't know for certain. But it did its job in that it put over that you know these are two people that flat out dislike each other. Yeah, uh, it came across that way. These weren't, as I said, not two guys that want to best each other with you know like technical skill or whatever, they just wanted to knock lumps out of each other. Yeah. And to that end, I'd say the match did its job. Uh, but it, it, again, it's difficult to talk about that because what happened at the end wasn't part of the story. Uh, like It's like you said, it's just kind of like okay, that's it, bye. You know, like, that kind of abrupt ending. Oh, but by the way, it was all this all the time. Like, it's one of the lesser Stephen King novels or something. But, you know, all the build-up and then, oh. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, watching the match back now, it's less, I think for most people, less enjoyment and more that it's a historical curiosity. Because it's by no means the first time that something like that has happened, but it's the I would say the most high-profile one. Yeah, I mean there was a I remember there was an instance when uh, I can't remember the name of the West. It was in the eighties. She was champion, and this Wendy Rector. That was it. Yeah. And this mass wrestler pinned her and with the world's fattest cow and turned out under the mattress Fabius Muller. Um, mm. who then turns out to be probably one of the worst people on the planet. Um, yep. <laughs> a lot of stuff. So it's uh, And we're well, gonna get to some really rotten people later on, I would imagine, but <laughs> Yes we are. Um, so it had all that so it has happened before. Uh, but this is one that's like such high profile and I would go on later at had such a such an impact and such a butterfly effect and other people who were not part of the match but obviously they it's the consequences of that match of what they did or what happened to them and everything like that. Um so we get to like how it was planned. The slight problem with that is that there are four or five people who claim to have the idea to film which fuck Brett over. Um mm. Shawn Michaels in his story, it was his idea, it was his, uh, he was saying, look, do whatever you want, all that stuff. Um, in Bret Hart's doc- uh, autobiography, he thought that Pat Patterson was involved and Jerry Briscoe like, was involved with the plan. Um, there's, have you seen the documentary Dark Side of the Ring? I've not watched those, uh, with the main reason being that. Like, I mean, obviously the title's a giveaway. It's the, you know, like it's very dark stories. Yeah. And I, it's that kind of thing. I have to be in the mood to watch it. And you know, uh, you you have to be in the right 
sort of frame of mind to watch something like that. Otherwise, it's just going to be like, I mean, it's going to be harrowing anyway. But yeah, uh, especially with ones like you know, obviously like the you know the stories of what happened with Chris Benoit or yeah. uh, what happened with Owen Hart. Uh, so I've not got around to watching those yet. Yeah. I've got the I've got the like the sort of bullet points from them, yeah. but. Uh, I've not watched them myself yet. Yeah, and um, well, they obviously did one about the Montreal Stew job, and you had Joe Connett, Jim Connett, and Vince Winter on it, and they're talking about how they like. I think Vince would do sometimes use creative meetings like it's by a swimming pool itself. I think, um, and mm. during one of those meetings, uh, yeah, Brett phoned the home and pretty much said, "Yeah, I'm not gonna drop the title." And so Vince came back, and pretty much, uh, Jim Connett takes credit for having the idea, and he cites some like massive that event that happened like 100 years ago in Montreal, as like you know, as like the screw job kind of thing. You know, he had that like that inspired him to have the idea. Vince Winso said it was his idea, and also, and I think the thing the thing I find weird is. I find it weird there's so much discrepancy over this because you would think no one's like actually sat down and said like whose fucking idea was it and it goes people taking credit and I find it weird that this is like one of the most controversial moments in western history why would you want to take credit for that idea uh, I think probably because like I mean you said it yourself it's one of the most controversial Things that's happened or in recent wrestling, well, <laughs> I might have to rephrase that, but um, it, it was a landmark moment. Yeah. And to, you know, like wrestling, the entertainment side of it is literally built on people. We make a living from over talking their own importance. Yeah. You know, making themselves sound bigger or tougher or more important or whatever than they actually are. Yeah. I mean, like Vince Russo tried to take credit for it. I mean, that's no surprise. He tries to take credit for everything back then. Yeah. And uh, Jim Cornette, I could see it because, you know, I wouldn't put it past him, but. And like obviously Briscoe and Patterson are like Vince, were like you know like at the time they're like Vince's right hand men, yeah. Like both on and well afterwards, on screen and off screen as well. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I think I don't think it was Vince Russo. I think it's like him protesting the credit and and like two years after this, Vince Russo makes Brett champion. So I don't mm. think. Um, unless Brett was convinced it wasn't him, because I think he thought it was Patterson and Briscoe's, like, they kind of formulated the plan. Um, you know, it's so weird that, you know, that Vince was, like, in charge of Dr. Joe at the time, and that's a whole other clusterfuck story. Uh, and then Brett comes, and while he gets it, he goes, oh, Brett's should be the champion, so he kind of does that. Um, I don't know, it's hard to say. I mean, I, th- I think it's probably a collaboration, probably, like, I think a lot of people had probably had the idea like, okay, if Brett's not going to drop the title, we need to force it off him. 
and it's probably some, some people kind of had the idea but it probably didn't all like come together until like the day of like, how to do it um, mm. I think there's also another discrepancy about Earl Hepner because Earl Hepner there's like Shawn Michael says in this book that Shawn Michael that um, Earl Hepner knew about it like a couple of hours before the match uh, Earl himself says he pretty much found out literally like 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 moments before the match say oh by the way by uh, Joe Briscoe and all that stuff it's um, weird to have that and obviously there's some services about how involved was Pat Patterson um, there were some people that thought that Jim Ross was involved which turned out not to be true and other things as well um, I think I think the biggest thing for me is like about the whole thing is that I don't agree with what Vince did but I understand why he did it because um, I think he was stuck but he was about to lose his, his champion he had an incident two about four years before this when uh, I learned, no sorry about three years before this when um, Alonzo Blaze who became reduced in WCW he, he, he left the company with the championship and then put the championship in the trash can um, he thought Brett might do Brett might get told to do like that um, so that stuff but I, I, I don't know I think Palmer feels like Vince is in charge of the company and surely he should have got Vince and Sean together and hashed out a finish and I think I think because he didn't do that it led to what happened in the end Hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's like in try. What can I say? You know. Um, Wait, do you think? Do you kind of agree with what Vince did, or? Oh, like honestly, no. Yeah. Uh, I. In situations like that, I'll always pretty much, unless like worker has done something, you know, like completely reprehensible. Yeah. Uh, I will always side with the worker, and if he's agreed to, you know, give Brett, you know, creative control and all the rest of it, honor it. Yeah, I think that's a thing. And also with... I know Brett had, like, a limited trade of control. Um, mm. Which is... Um, but I don't... I don't know whether it led to this. I don't know. It's... Um, it's such a weird thing. And... Um, and one thing I found... It wasn't until... Cause this is probably the most research I've always done for a podcast. Because <laughs> I've seen the match. I've watched mm. Outside of the Ring. Obviously, I knew about Western Shadows. So I didn't want to watch that again. But um, but I watched a I listened to a podcast that talked about with Brett Hart's career and talked about the screw job, and they've been watching like the butterfly effect from like a lot of people involved, uh, like for example, because um, after the company like people like Jim Nighthawk, British Bulldog, uh, Rick Rude, they all left uh, because of what happened. Um, Owen couldn't because of his contract. <laughs> um, there was pretty much open rebellion. 
in the roster. Um, in terms of what happened with Brett, um, he, I think Vince locked himself in his office, and I think it was the Undertaker pretty much went to Vince said like you can't need to talk to Brett here. Um, so he yeah. tried to do that. Uh, Brett's like, I'm gonna have a shower. Just don't be here when I come back. Sean uh, Vince was there when he came back, so he punched him and Vince ended up on the floor. Um, and soon after that, it was obviously when Brett went to WCW. Um, we we talk about Brett's WCW one in a minute, but Vince isn't is is in the shit here. He's about to face an op- he's about to face a massive rebellion with the roster. Um, yeah, and then pretty much, um, like, uh, do you, have you ever read about what Mick Foley did during this time? Yeah, he no showed raw, right? Yeah, he pretty much no showed the next day. He was, he was saying in his book that he, he obviously knew what happened. He spoke to his wife to say, "Look, I can't work for this company. You know, fuck this." And he's thinking about going back to WCW, even though it would be a lot less money and could be career suicide because. While he's been away from WCW, they've got all like the big names like uh, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair back, all that stuff. Um, then literally the the next war, um, pretty much all these wrestlers are saying, "Yeah, we're gonna leave," or like coming out and like kind of criticizing Brett over what he did. And Foley's like, "Well, shit, I've got to come. I've got to go back." Um, and in his book, he said he just came back, and no one said a word to him about it. I think, I think one of the instances like, it's like I know you're pissed, so get what you did, but we're going to just let that slide. Um, so that happened, but I think the main people who left, like Jim Nighthart and British Bulldog and stuff, it's it didn't get any better for them. Uh, they went to WCW. Mm. Uh, Rick Rude did the thing where he was like on two shows on the same day because uh, yeah. War at that time was live one week and taped the next so I think he was on, w- on WWE War uh, like for the first hour of the show and then like an hour later he turns up live on WCW and talks about like how WWE is a sick and ship and all that stuff and I think I think from that was the, probably why they had the whole like no complete clause. But I think with Rick Rude, I don't think he told WWE that he's leaving. He just left and just turned up at WCW. Um, obviously with the British Bulldog, he he went to WCW. He got injured at a pay per view uh, the next year. I can't remember which one it was, but it was one where uh, it was World Warrior versus Hogan, and so there was a trap door in the ring. And um, mm. British Bulldog uh, hurt himself on that. That led to him having back problems. That led to him going to uh, having like addiction to painkillers. That led to him going to rehab and all that stuff. And like a divorce from his wife and everything. But I think the biggest, biggest person to suffer from like this massive butterfly effect was obviously Owen Hart because. Mm-hmm. He obviously passed away a year and a half after this in an accident. And the pressure that I get to some people is that um, Owen was, if he wasn't sure about something, he always go to Brett and kind of walk, talk it through with Brett and see what Brett was thinking and stuff. And yeah. a lot of people were saying, well, if Brett was there that night, I don't think he would have, I don't think he would have 
I think it would have convinced Owen not to do the whole like rope wire thing, and that would have led to the accident and all that stuff. So it's it isn't. It, as I said before, it's like it's insane how how one thing could create such a massive effect to everyone. Hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, the knock-on effects from it were. I mean. Besides, I mean, you, you obviously mentioned like the one heart stuff and that, but like also, like creatively as well, it was like, I guess like the big bang of the of the attitude era. Yeah. Um, because it was the first time, uh, I believe that Vince was, like, or around about that time was when Vince was first fully recognised as actually being the owner of the company rather than just like a commentator. Yeah, it was Brett, and Brett can't do that in a few months beforehand. Yeah, and obviously like when he came on, when he did that, you know, like, you know, the Brett screwed Brett interview on Raw. Yeah. The, uh, I, I believe that was the first time he had actually openly spoken on TV like as the owner, I think so. Yeah, I mean, he's um, up to this point. He was the obviously he was only known as announcer. Um, I know real life, it was more well known because we had the steroid trial in '93 to go through. Um, but in terms of like kayfabe, in terms of TV, that was the first time he actually taught as an owner. Um, that was a work up. That was on the same day that Rick Rude did his whole two shows in the same day. Um, thing and that was when uh, Vince sat down with JR and did the whole Stroop, no, Brett Stroop Brett uh, interview um, do, do you find it hard to believe that some people think this whole thing was a work I don't find it hard to believe at all because you know I mean literally whenever and you even see it now you know if um, someone says like there's a thing like someone gets injured on Raw whether it's like a storyline or not you know you look at the like, the comments on Twitter and they say oh such and such is injured there'll be a way for blah 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 and you always know, you know all these comments like it's a work and to be fair I think a lot of that stems back to the Montreal screwjob because I think it's really since then that fans have started questioning things a lot more. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that people think it's a work, or some people at least. Yeah. Because you, you'll, you'll always get that with any incident in wrestling that's purported to be real. You know, you'll always get people that'll be like, nah, they're having us on, or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, you know, make of it what you will, but yeah, I, for, I, I don't believe it was. No, I don't believe it. I think it was, like, it was real, and um, I think um, when, with the Dark Side of the Wing episode, they had uh, Scott Hall, like, uh, he was saying he's one of those people who think it was a work, and his episode was, like, saying, oh, if it was if it, it was a shoot, you wouldn't have seen Brett spitting Vince's face and like other things like that. And it's like, 
past they didn't expect it the you know kind of thing it's like you know what I mean? It's like, oh, we'll just see, we'll cut the bread, and then obviously that happened, kind of thing. Um, so it's weird. Um, let me talk about the impact of it because um, Brett um, didn't compete for, obviously, as a group, there's no compete clause, but he did take part in Star K97. And that hmm. is the first and probably the most weird reference, like callback to the Motu Studiop. Um, because uh, have you seen Starcry Nine Seven? Yeah, yeah. So pretty much like so pretty much they had Brett become the special referee of the penultimate match, which was between Eric Bischoff and Larry Zabisco, which was weird because pretty much every time Larry would do something, Brett was getting his face, and he's and he's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Um, and there's a the bit where I think Eric Bischoff was supposed to like. Hit the Bisco with like a loaded foot, but the bit that like a bit of his like I kind of like a bit of his boots goes flying off the wing mm. and stuff. Um, and then at the main event, uh, which is Hulk Hogan versus Sting, Hogan wins, and but the bell doesn't win because Bret Hart out of fucking nowhere stops the bell from ringing and goes, "This is going to happen again," and then proceeds to screw over Hulk Hogan and. The thing that gets me about the whole thing is that uh, when I watched this and he mentioned this is going to happen again, to me, I think the note, main note for where I said this was like, the universes have not merged yet. So, because <laughs> obviously this is like four years before WWE bought WCW, so there will be fans, like the fans like me and you who watch both shows, like both WWE and WCW, but there's mm. some fans who would only watch WCW and we probably wouldn't know who Bret Hart is because uh, he's very well known at that time but when when Bret would say that they'd be like what the fuck are you talking about because they might not know the full extent about the screw job so it's a bit of a weird thing for him to say yeah it's and a weird thing to do as well because like you know you have Bret come in you know, this big money signing. You know, and to have the first thing he does to be like a do-over of how he acrimoniously left his previous job. Well, I guess that's the most wrestling thing of all time, to be honest. Yeah. It's like the way now that when, you know, well, not now, now, given, obviously, everything that's going on. Um, the... Uh, it's... It's, like, now... Like... Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Like, nowadays, when... You know, someone leaves WWE, and they turn up in, you know, like... Say impact, and it's always nowadays the cliche is you know like you know, you know they held me back. This is who I really am, kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like I think many, many, many wrestlers who left WWE have done that, and it's that's like the two things: they either do that or do what's been done here 
which is you know re- like a do over of what they're known for already. Yeah. Which I get. I get that. Like less so with this Montreal Screwjob thing, but I get a wrestler make like I get a wrestler trying to make a living, particularly now on the independents. Yeah. Like doing what they're known for, but yeah, it, it was. It was a weird one to take in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's um, and it's well, I mean, I I would love to talk about this match at some point, but it was just so, just it's one of those matches where it's so simple. Sting wins the end, <laughs> and <laughs> thanks to Hulk Hogan clusterfucking it, it becomes a clusterfuck. And you, I think the main thing that I find unforgivable about that whole match is that. You made the biggest heel in the company, who's pretty much won Wolfshot, done whatever the fuck he wanted for the last year and a half. Feel you made you made him sympathetic, and you can you should never do that to like the monster heel of the company. Um, so, well, with that, with that, with WWE, they would go on to do a replica of the Screw Job a year later with the Rock and Mankind. Because um, at that time, Mankind was being dreamed as like the, the corporate champion. And yeah. And turns up, oh no, it's the Walk All Alone, and that led to the Walk being the corporate champion. Um, yeah. And that also led to like the rivalry between Mankind and Walk. Um, I think most recently there was a women's match between Natalia and Charlotte Flair. They ended in, in like a screw job in Payback about two, three years ago. Uh, when they did that as well, so it's it also goes back to like Palmer's like going, this is like this is kind of like a bad day for your company. So I don't get why you keep on like going back to it, but it's a controversial moment, so you kind of like capitalize it at the same time. It's I think there, there are a lot of aspects about this thing where you, I'm thinking why you're doing it, but I don't understand why you're doing it, which is weird for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did it again as well. Uh, like, I think two thousand and three, uh, when with the the Rock and Hogan match. The was that like, when, he was, when he was like the um, Hollywood Hogan, uh, Hollywood Walk side. Yeah, um, okay. like the it was. I want to say it was no way out two thousand three. Yeah, because it was the same show that Austin came back at. And they was it? I think so. Anyway, uh, so like they, they did that match. It was the big rematch from WrestleMania the previous year, you know, Hogan Rock, and uh, the uh, well, yeah, yeah, and I know they've done it. I can't remember the specific examples, but I know that's not the only time they've done a yeah. callback to it with refs. Yeah. So. They've done it quite a few times. Uh, but the, the best I remember is obviously the paper one, because I think that's the most recent one. And obviously the one that happened like a year later, because it was literally a year later. Um, and as for Bret Hart, I think it's safe to say that WCW one didn't go particularly well. Um, I think Vince once said that. WCW wouldn't know to, wouldn't know what to do with Bret Hart 
and I think they were proved right because I think Brett's main problem is that he moved to a company that was WWE seven years beforehand so he had all the big names like Hogan, Macho Man, Ric Flair were there and they're, they're like having the championship all the time and then soon after that Goldberg rose up became champion um, but Brett does become champion I think in the autumn of 99 and then mm. the end, end of 99 he faced Goldberg for the championship gets kicked in the head that caused a concussion and unfortunately that kind of became like kind of started snowballed and he had to retire due to injury um, ne- the next year so it's um, just a shame because it's so, just a shame that like a great wrestler kind of um, ended up like having to end his career in that way hmm So, um, with Miss McMahon, obviously, he did his interview and then started to form. I think at this point, this is when he stepped away from the commentator role and started to become like the owner. And this led on to the um, Miss McMahon that we get now. Um, if, with this match, if everything. If either, let's say the match didn't end the screw job, either like Brett lost or ended the clusterfuck, do you think they would have started to form the Miss McMahon character eventually? Or would, or would they kind of probably found another foil from Austin? Because obviously this time Austin is on the way up. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously he, he got hampered a bit because he broke his neck at SummerSlam. Uh, that year, but obviously he was going to be the big guy in the next few months. Mm-hmm. The uh, so like yeah, I mean it did lead to the off like the rise of Austin, especially with having Vince McMahon, because even though Brett was the heel going up to the Montreal screw job, yeah. you know a lot of fans see that as you know the boss screwing over his employee, yeah. which is kind of what the, Steve, the Stone Cold Steve Austin character was built on. Yeah. And a lot of fans can relate to that, so it instantly made Vince the bad guy to everyone, even the fans, even the WWF fans, because as you said, uh, the, the it, like, it was very much WWF versus WCW, and there was fans that would only watch one of them. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that, you know, the the Stone Cold Steve Austin character was in large part built from that incident. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. As um, what do we, and I think one of the sadder things for me is, um, if Brett, and there's like a lot of what ifs with this, but if Brett did stay, you know, did keep the contract and Vince was a lot of money and all that stuff. I can't see Brett being a big name that shoot here, I don't think that character would fit in that. Yeah, I mean always seemed kinda of like a fish out of water in WCW. Yeah. Like the like, like they never quite knew what to do with him. Yeah. Which was a great shame. As as I've said before, I was a WCW guy at the time. Uh, the 
like they've got this guy coming in off the back of like the biggest incident in at the time in recent wrestling memory you know with all this sympathy and everything behind them and didn't really do much that much with them <laughs> yeah and um i think but i think also i think with dub i as i said before i don't i don't know if bret hart would have done well in the attitude era in wwe Mm-hmm. No, like, not the right fit for it. You're right there. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah, so I think um, I think for Brett, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. Um, yeah, which is just a shame. In some ways, it's a great wrestler, but uh, I do I do know that in real life he didn't like the way WWE was going. Uh, mm-hmm. Like with like the more profanity, uh, the more. Like scandalous things that will happen, especially in the next year, because uh, in the next year you have like things like Balvinus coming in, who's giving up as a porn star when he started. Uh, you had the whole thing with Sable and things like that. So yeah, it's just a shame. It's because um, I don't like. Whilst I'm not the biggest fan of Hulk Hogan, but at least he kind of adapted his character <laughs> at the time as times went on, in a way. And I think I don't I don't think Brett w- could could have done that because uh, I think he he's got this gimmick that I'm going to stick to that and it's just ended up just not really working uh, as that's your era came. Um, so um, let's talk about where wrestling is today because it has gone to shit. <laughs> Hasn't it just? Yes. Um, so the last time we talked was the end of February. I think the podcast came a couple weeks after that. During the time, mm-hmm. the uh, COVID coronavirus uh, outbreak in China spread to the whole planet. So, um, here in the UK, we were just finishing off COVID weeks of lockdown. We're getting that ease now, like things are opening. Uh, in the States, it's a clusterfuck there. Uh, and one of the things is that uh, for WWE and AEW, they've pretty much done all their shows. Uh, for WWE, most of the, I think, until recently, it was in empty trials, and then the last couple, last few weeks, they've allowed the NFT wrestlers to walk to come and watch uh, with the show with plastic glass. Uh, AEW did something slightly different, which I thought was funny. Um, pretty much like I don't know really watch AEW, but pretty much Chris Jericho banned the crowd because uh, mm. he said, "Oh, this crowd are going to like cheer for the uh, for Cody Rolls. I don't want that anymore. I'm going to ban the crowd." Uh, but they've had like um, that. They've had wrestlers like in the crowd as well. That they were doing things like um, like Sean Spears was like betting on matches and things like that. Yeah, I like that. That was a good touch. Yeah, <laughs> um, that as well. And they kind of like in 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 to get involved in sometimes as well. Um, and then there was a bit of controversy because uh, the governor for Florida, James Juan DeSantis. Somehow deemed professional wrestling as an essential business, um, which it fucking isn't. No, um, it is most certainly not. No, I mean, it's, I mean, it's great to watch, but it's, I was an essential business. Um, which, as someone who works in the, in the NHS myself, was thought it was a bit of a kick in the teeth. Um, so, pretty much, you've got that. Um, Jordan Devlin was obviously stuck in Ireland because of mm-hmm. this. Uh, he was Cruiserweight champion, so they went, yeah, fuck you. 
uh, did the interim cruiserweight championship, which um, Elf de Fatisma won. Uh, ooh, and then as soon as he won it, they're like, oh, he's the cruiserweight champion now. So fuck Jordan Devlin. And then they did the same as Damien Sane because he was refusing to go and uh, wrestle because he wouldn't right, want to play. Rightly so. Yes. So they're like, you're the champion. We'll just take that. And then the tournament for that was AJ Styles won. And um, so all that was happening <laughs> with the coronavirus. And I was just obviously uh, NXT UK has not been doing shows because of the lockdown. Uh, that'll probably start up maybe in September. I'm not sure at the minute. Um, and then over the last week is um, the hashtag speaking out was coming on Twitter. And a lot of female wrestlers were accusing. It seems to be focused more on the UK wrestling scene but they were accusing mm. a lot of British wrestlers I, I don't know all of them but I know uh, Martha Stroll and Jimmy Havoc were two that were definitely involved I think Travis Banks as well yep um, mm. was Jordan Devlin involved in that as well yes he was okay. Uh, okay. He, he was accused of domestic violence yeah so of like uh, domestic violence of uh, of sexual assault of rape of sexual harassment and um, and then I don't know about this, but I think over the last day or so, uh, there's actually against Sam Guevara, so he's been suspended by EW, uh, pending mm. investigation. Um, so yeah, um, what the first? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll say what I honestly think. Um, <laughs> uh, women have had enough. Yes, I think for. And not just women, like men, like there's men who have been victims of stuff as well, if not, you know, like, uh, if not sexual abuse or anything, then like, like mental or emotional abuse, Yeah. whether it's trainees or whatever. Um, I don't know if you or anyone else has noticed, but I've been trying to help yeah. out with that on Twitter. Yes, I've seen that. And it started a few friends of mine uh, within the Scottish wrestling scene came to me, because this was when people, you could see it sort of brimming to the surface on Twitter after the David Starr stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, I think someone said something like, it's a case of, right, who's going to be first? And a few friends of mine in the Scottish wrestling scene, who I won't name because they wanted to do it anonymously, the only one who has since come out and publicly said, yeah, I was one of the people, is Jayla Dark, who retired late last year. Um, she, so they sent me a statement that they crafted regarding an English wrestler based in Scotland by the name of Mikey Whiplash. And Mikey uh, reputation, an arsehole, basically. And outlined some of the stuff that he's been doing over the years you know like getting you know like mental emotional physical abuse of trainees uh, of literally assaulting a woman in the cat house nightclub in glasgow which is why icw won't touch him anymore yeah uh because that happened like during one of their after parties um there, and so I put that out on their behalf. And since then, I've had like other ones. 
uh, like the stuff about Kid Fight, who's like another wrestling trainer here in Scotland. Uh, basically, essentially grooming trainees. Uh, like way, the messages I got from the the woman who contacted me uh, at the time of it, she was sixteen, and. You know, you can say, oh, 16 is a legal age or whatever, but let's face it, which one of us isn't making dumbass decisions at the age of 16? Yeah. You know, your brain's not finished developing. You know, you're not an adult at 16. And it's him basically waiting until she hits 16 and then trying it on with her, inviting her to his room after shows. Uh, and, like, there was screenshots of messages you know backing all of this up and there's also you know there's as you said the stuff with Travis Banks uh, you know Millie McKenzie came out about um, you know and I mean there's so so much been coming out and it's been a long time coming yeah. I mean I try to keep out of the sort of backstage talk and stuff but you hear whispers uh, like I've, for me, from my perspective, that's always been, you know, like oh, someone sent me, oh, I heard, you know, so and so is a bit dodgy or whatever, and the only one of the ones that I put out, the only one that I knew about beforehand was the Mickey Whiplash stuff, yeah. and that was because I was told like late last year that was why I actually start, stopped going to Fierce Female shows he's thankfully no longer involved with them uh, but there's been so so much and as I said it's been a long long time coming uh, you watch old shoot interviews yeah. uh, an example it wasn't in fact this wasn't even a shoot interview it was on a WWF DVD I don't know if anyone remembers them, but you used to get the... I think they were part of that WWF Confidential show. Yeah, I think so. Uh, that, and it was like... Uh, the, these DVDs were uh, before they were superstars. And it would be you know, a wrestler documenting how they grew up, how they got into wrestling and stuff like that. And there was an Al Snow one. And he was talking about being trained by Ole Anderson. And describing his first session, and you know, Al's still a kid; he's just out of school. And you know, basically, Ole was like full on stretching him, and you know, like even at one point, like threatening to gouge his eye out, like kind of like, do you really want to do this? Do you want to be a wrestler? And I remember watching that horrified, and yet for so many years stories like that it's become like oh that's or less so nowadays yeah. but oh that's the business not anymore it's not yeah. it shouldn't be you know if you're a trainee going to a wrestling school yeah. you're the trainer that's a position to trust yeah and there's a lot of cases you're seeing out and, you know, like, that have been coming out where trainers 
and not just trainers, but like veterans and stuff as well, have been abusing that trust. Yeah. And it needs to stop. And I'm so happy. And I've said this on Twitter and stuff as well, that a lot of the newer generation of wrestlers seem more willing to call that kind of stuff out. Yeah. Uh, I, the recent one that came out, uh, I think just late last night, was about Mike Quackenbush from Chikara. Be like, you know, like being mentally or sorry, emotionally um, manipulative with trainees and stuff and uh, having affairs with female trainees and it's like, to their credit, a lot of, I've seen it on Twitter, a lot of the Chikara roster have all stood up and went, no, I'm out. Even like the ones that have been there for a long, long time, people like, you know, Hal the Wicked, Frightmare, Kimberly, have all like no have nothing to do with this. I'm gone. Bye. And we need more of that. Like obviously, in a lot of these cases, nothing yeah. can be. There's not much that can be proven in a court of law. Like in terms of you know the cases of sexual abuse or whatever. But for people to stand up and call that out takes a huge amount of guts. And the the people who not just for themselves but lending their voices to other people as well. So like people like you know oh, am I looking at the wrong thing? So I did write this down. <laughs> uh, but like you know people like Alexis Falcon, Sierra Loxton, uh, Debbie Keitel, Rain, uh, Max the Impaler. Gia Adams, uh, Tony Shivers, uh, yeah. there's so many of them, Jayla Dark, uh, uh, also Daniel Matheson, who's a, a Canadian uh, wrestling journalist and photographer uh, who's been helping people out. There's, like So many of these people are lending their voices to people who maybe are too scared to speak for themselves. And I think that's admirable. Yeah. Uh, my hope, is, I mean, a lot of people are saying this is a dark time for wrestling. And I'm not sure I agree with that. It's a good thing that these people are being outed and wrestling is going to be better without them. Yeah. yeah I, think, I, think, but I think one of the main problems that we might get is that with the with the whole thing with rape culture now is like and I'm not I'm just not attempt to like discredit these women at all. But there will be times mm. where there will you always get instances of like people saying, Oh, I was raped and then they either withdraw the education or they find not to be true. So and mm. you, but you're always gonna get some people who will just point blank refuse to believe that like so and so did this and so and so did that. Oh yeah. I've seen a lot of it in the comments. It's yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know. I personally don't know these wrestlers. I mean, my my close experience with wrestlers is um, I did security for an ICW show in Liverpool a few years ago, and I sort of I called the wrestlers said hello, but I was it really not like nothing like no friends or false anything like that. Yeah. I know. I know you're more involved in the wrestling scene than I am. Um, 
happens that. But I think the, my worry is that probably not the big companies will employ these people, but they will find a job somewhere. And, oh yeah. And that's a bit of a shame. It's it might just because the more the fact is the big names. Like, oh, we've got so and so and all that stuff, mm. and that's going to attract a crowd. Um, I mean, you look at that. I mean, for, it does seem to be slowly starting to turn. Yeah. Because the like, for example, Rip Swan, there was the allegations about him a few years ago. Yeah. And Impact brought him in anyway. Yeah. Or like companies have brought in Enzo or yeah. whoever else anyway. But that does seem to be, like the Impact were so quick to fire uh, Joey Ryan and Dave Crest. Yeah. I think is a good thing. I uh, believe they also suspended Michael Elgin, and that's actually over some old claims that were that were already in existence when they hired him. Yeah. But that's another story for another day. Yeah. Uh, but again, yeah, as I said, a lot of the younger generation uh, are seem to be standing up and going, you know what, this isn't right, and yeah. I can't applaud them enough. Because wrestling has long needed this. Yeah. So, hopefully, you know, because it's not going to kill wrestling. No. But wrestling will be a lot better off after it. Yeah. Um, I think it's... It seems to be... I don't know, I think it's because of this pandemic that has led to a lot of people... My love thing is being really involved in the Eli Society. Obviously, we've got the whole thing with the Black Lives Matter thing happening as well. Mm. Um, and then we got the whole speaking out. A few years ago, we had the whole Me Too movement, especially with uh, Harvey Weinstein and the guy in charge of... No, he's Harvey Weinstein. The guy in charge of uh, Miramax. Mm. Um, a few other people as well. And I think I think one of the big instances with the Me Too movement was Terry Crews. And Terry Crews is like this... We, those who don't know, he used to play in the NFL. He's late forties, but he's he's very well built. It's like pretty much got professional wrestler build. Oh yeah, he's built like a city house. Yeah, <laughs> um, like one of the nicest guys ever. Plus, um, he's coming on the TV show and also and But he talked about how he got uh, like this male, this movie that's like Streeter's Bum or something like that. And mm. but he was like. I think his wife saying, say something, he was like, well, I can't because, have you seen me? I'm, you know, I, no one's going to believe me if I said that. And, and some yeah. people did kind of say that, you know, like, to him to say, oh, no. But I think some people were angry that it was some, in some way was taken, it, his story was taken away from the other, like, all the women mm. who were, was, like, who were speaking out. And... But he was like saying, no, 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 I'm just saying that this this is not a, just a female problem. Yes, female is the vast majority, but it's not just a female problem. There are men who have the same problem as well. I mean, you see, you saw that last night. I yeah. don't know if you saw, but uh, Keith Lee yeah. uh, came out and said, like, he was essentially, he was raped. He had his drink spiked and woke up naked in the hotel room. Yeah. And, like, and to me, him coming out and saying that's a good thing. Yes. Because it, for one thing, like, because Keith Lee is, you know, he's built like a truck, and, you know, and it's like, 
if it can happen to him, it could happen to anybody. Yes. And I hope that him lending his voice to this and, like, helps to... Because he's, like, a lot of the people who are, like, putting out accusations, they always get the... They always get accused themselves of, like, oh, you're just seeking fame or clout or whatever whatever the hell that is. And he, whereas he's not somebody who needs that. He's, you know, in a very good position at the biggest wrestling company in the world. Yeah. And, you know, like, I hope him lending his voice to this helps other people who have been in the same situation to either, like, find their voice and speak yeah. out or to, like, or if needed to be more empathetic toward people who speak out. Yeah. Um, especially because uh, I, I know in the UK, like, where we get men was not part of the law because it was mostly all women. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, I think it's different now, but, like, men and men world is, like, one in ten, but because it's I think it's more embarrassment than anything, so they, they won't speak out. So, yeah. for Keith Lee, who, as you say, is, he pretty much he is, he is, he is built like a, a truck. Um, and what the person I got, like, one of the nicest guys backstage, apparently. He seems, um, I've never heard an unkind word said about yeah, him. Yeah, um, <laughs> And he's great to watch on TV and all that stuff, but to see him, to see, and I think hopefully that would encourage more men who have had something similar happen to them to come out as well and, I've, and I, I applaud them for that I applaud like, all these women speaking out I applaud him for what he's doing as well so it's things will probably get worse but if it leads to something better I think that's not saying it's a good thing yeah 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 <laughs> I mean, uh, I would have very careful it's a want... good thing that these the stories are coming out yeah. and that if, like, if possible we can hold the perpetrators of them accountable. Yes, and hopefully that will lead to a better culture, especially for female wrestlers, because I think I think for I think the different range of many obviously seeing men topless is obviously norm. It's obviously more normal than a woman, especially wearing like a massive bra and small shorts. Uh, and some people think because women are dressed like that and they're dressed like that to wrestle more than anything mm-hmm. um, that's, it's okay to do with the what with them you're like no 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 you can't so um, yeah, I mean, I mean so, and so many of these stories being from fans as well like the I mean I'll, I'll tell you a story like uh, this was after an ICW show in Glasgow there was a guy that was literally following a friend of mine. Yeah. And, like, me and my friend Stuart, who, uh, like, some people on Twitter might know him as the guy who runs the Friends Wrestle account. Yeah. Um, we ended up having to walk her back to our hotel room because this guy was, like, you know, you know, obviously keeping his distance, but following him. Uh, so, like, we, I mean, obviously we don't mind doing that, you know, we would do it for any friend of ours, but yeah. it's not something that should have to be done. And, like, I mean, she'd had, I believe she'd had words with, like, 
like ICW about this guy before him. Nothing got done. Uh, like, uh, there's like a lot for a lot of these companies, and you see, you can see it. You can see it in the reaction that they have on social media. Yeah, is like you can tell the ones for that want to make things safer, not just for their talent but their fans as well. Yeah. and the ones that it's all about the public image for them. Yeah, and you know. Uh, like like the thing, the progress. Uh, don't know if anyone saw the tweet. It got deleted. Sent out by John Briley, who's not known for being the best with his words. Is <laughs> like any time you see, you ever saw the progress account tweet something stupid, it was probably Briley. <laughs> and it was like in regards to the accusations from Melly McKenzie against Travis Banks. And had, it was a quote to me, and it was something like, I can't remember the exact wording, but it was something like, you know, uh, like, I don't believe this happened on a progress weekend, uh, and I would hate to think that it did. And it's like, you idiot, is that honestly the first thing you thought of? Yeah. About, like, how it would look on your company rather than yeah. fixing the situation? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I know it's um, you know, I think um, but hopefully it will, it will get to um, not lead to a better environment for like I think I said I'm not like discriminant men wrestlers like hopefully it will be more comfortable for the female wrestlers um, more comfortable for like fans and all that stuff because you know wrestling is at times where it's fucking stupid, it could be batshit insane, it could be nonsensical, but it can be fun. And I think mm. if we have wrestlers who are in a fun work environment and hopefully they'll portray that into their matches and make it you know, better for everyone. Um, so yeah, um, Faka talked to me about that. Obviously everything's happening and all that stuff, man. And I really appreciate like what you're doing for these uh, people as well. Oh, thank you. Uh, like as I said, it's, it started with like just like helping out a friend yeah. who needed it, and it, like from that I got more messages uh, yeah. from people, and it was just like you know these people were scared to speak yeah. up, uh, and a lot of the messages I got, and it'll explain why some people because I'm I'm reluctant to be overly critical with people who hadn't speak out before not like unless they were like complicit in covering something up that's yeah. completely different but in the messages I got the the phrase Stockholm Syndrome came up a lot yeah. and you know when you're that ingrained into this culture of you know, like, oh, he's a good brother, you know, like, yeah. don't snitch on him. And, like, so to help these people out, like, I was happy to, uh, like, I've, and I think most people, I, I like to think most people uh, in the same situation, because I'm, I'm just a big loudmouth with Twitter account, you know, I'm, I'm just a fan. But to be able to help these people out, you know, like, just felt like the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
point so and um i'd like to say as well as that for other people who are listening if this is something that has affected you um i know it's i don't know what the owner's like for this podcast but i'm sure there's plenty of like websites and phone numbers in your country that can help you with this and if this um not really us two talking but like if this whole thing about speaking out and if that if you had experienced something like that and you want to talk out i'm sure these there will be websites and phone numbers to help you with that as well um, yeah and not like even if like uh, i would say like the, the woman i messaged earlier uh if you're like a, if you're in wrestling, uh, whether as a fan or a wrestler or whatever, and you hear this, there are people out there who will listen to you, who will believe you, yeah. and if necessary, help you speak up. Yeah. Uh, you know, as I said, the people like Alexis Falcon, like Rain, like uh, Sierra Loxton have been helping so so many people, yeah. and you know. Uh, Debbie Kaitel as well is another one uh, who's been really sort of headstrong about this, and, and rightly so. Uh, but uh, yeah, like reach out if you can to people because there are people out there who will help. Adam, where can people find the internet? Um, I'm not just saying that, just in general, because in case people <laughs> do want to um, speak to you about this. Yeah. Um, so my actual me account is Ginger Pimpernel. Uh, the other one is uh, Wrestling Without Context. It's W-R-E-S, no context, all one word. Uh, I'm not ignoring the message requests for now, not because I don't want to help people, but it has been so draining. Like some of the stuff I've read has been legitimately harrowing, and like there are people out there who, like as I said, I'm just a fan on account. Yeah. Whereas there are people within this movement who are in touch with the police, who are in touch with relevant authorities or uh, support networks that can help you far better than I can. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you can find it there. Uh, also, twitch.tv slash gingerpimpernel, where up until now, uh, I've be- I had been doing a series of streams uh, on the game Fire Pro Wrestling with uh, having uh, people within wrestling come in to guest book shows. Uh, that's kind of on hold right now because of everything that's going on. And uh, two of the people I had on have actually been outed in all of this. Uh, which sucks. Like, they weren't like friends or anything, but like I was friendly with them. Like they were yeah. pally, so it was very, very uh, disappointing. Yeah. Um, but there, I mean, there's been good people on it as well. I've had you know people like the the aforementioned Jayla Dark. Uh, we had Candy Lee on. We've had Faye Jackson on. Um, uh, like. Uh, Gene Money, who's another one. Uh, uh, it's, but it's on hold right now. It will come back someday, but um, uh, like until then, it'll probably just be me yeah. pissing about with fictional stuff on Fire Pro, which is uh, been about fifty percent of my life during this lockdown. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um... 
rough me, I'm at, lo at Logan Wrestling. Uh, website is loganwrestling.blogspot.com. Just doing pay per view reviews and things like that. Um, Turn the podcast is on SoundCloud as well, so you can take a link for that. Um, so, Adam, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And, guys, we'll speak to you guys soon. Bye. Bye.